and the good folk just don't work that way. Um, like I've, I've seen this thing that goes around online sometimes where people will say, you know, if you're connected to a deity and your deity is like harming you or forcing you to do things you don't want to do, or, you know, basically like an, it's an abusive relationship. And it always kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, there's not, they're not wrong, but you can't apply that to the good folk. Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of a sacred fire where speakers gather to share their wisdom and insights. Creating a sacred space where all are welcome to warm their hands, here are your hosts, Caitlin Stormbreaker, Sarenth Odinson, and Jim Two Snakes, discuss spirituality, mythology, animism, and culture around a virtual sacred fire. Welcome. 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 Won't you join us around Grandfather Fire? Hail to the ones deep in the mound, deep in the earth. Hail to the ones flitting through forests and walking tall among woods. Hail to the ones who walk among us, tall and great, short and squat. Hail to the holy ones, the little ones, the tall ones, the good ones, who range all around us, seen and unseen, betwixt and between. Hail to the blessed ones, hail to the good ones, hail to the ones who we do not know, hail to the ones who show us, hail to the ones who hide from us, and hail to the holy ones who guide us. Hail to the blessed ones in good relationship, hail to the blessed ones in good company, hail to the blessed ones in quiet study. Hail to the ones who have taken our hands, led us in the secret places. Hail to the ones who have taken our hands and told us it is time to rest. And hail to the ones who walk beside us, hand in hand, into the world, leading the world, into the world again. Hail to you all. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 115. I'm your host, Jim Two Snakes, joined as always by my good friend and co host, Sarah Thornton. And uh, Caitlin will not be with us tonight due to interwebs issues. So, (laughs) how are you doing tonight, Sarah? I'm good. yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. I, don't, I don't usually reach out to the other side like that. Um, <laughs> people who know me know that I try to avoid the good neighbors, uh, usually with the good old mantra incantation, like a good neighbor say over there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> however, having multiple people in my communities, uh, both in person and online who have, have these connections you can't avoid them entirely can't avoid them entirely no so um overall i'm doing really well i slept like the dead because i worked a 16 hour shift and then came home and snonked out hard <laughs> <laughs> too. 
I don't feel like I slept a lot, but uh, according to my significant other, we had quite the storm here last night, and I didn't wake up a bit. So, <laughs> those are like, the best. Oh, you're telling me it stormed? Oh, look, there's puddles everywhere. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I worked through that. That was interesting. It's it's interesting when you're in a solid brick building and the whole thing reverberates. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so the lightning in the storm was really intense. Like, <laughs> all right, it's saying hello. So um, overall, can't complain. Like I said, got good sleep, been working quite a bit, uh, working on the blog as usual. Uh, posted a couple of things this month I'm actually really proud of. Um, I posted my most recent blog post, I think, is on the gods of limited access and my deep disagreements with it. Mm-hmm. And so... That was just an off the cuff. Hey, this thing irritates me, and I don't feel like making a TikTok about it. So. <laughs> what you can't get it all? Well, I mean, you can go up to ten minutes with TikTok now, but still, it doesn't allow for in depth on anything really. You, you can, but I mean, the part part of the issue is like when I have a lot of these inspirations, I'm at work, and they tend to frown right. about recording right. TikToks on company and on on state time. So you know, that's that's understandable. Definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah. That's that's what's been on my mind for the most part is just getting the blog around and prepping for next month. Uh, for some reason, the internet completely croaked at work last night. So hmm. I, I'm putting in a bunch of uh, low-key articles and prayers for uh, the next epi- the episode issue thing of I Do Now for the Trove. Um, however, oh, yeah, and you're, yeah, you're, looking, you're doing a more in-depth study on the runes as well on your blog, correct? Yeah. Um, so... What that's all about is I actually reformatted, I formatted an entire new section for it. And it's for the Encountering the Runes workshop, if any of you have ever taken it. Uh, one of the things that's been kind of something that was suggested to me a while ago was to develop a QR code system for it and links and hyperlinks on the website itself so that people could go look at the rune poems because I pushed the rune poems so much during the workshop and they're so hard to find in decent formatting. So... I basically looked at Ragweed Forge's setup and went, that looks really cool, but you have none of the runes displayed, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quote the same person you're quoting from, put this together in a more pretty fashion, and actually make it available to people. So each one of these has a QR code developed for it, and so you can click on the individual rune and actually get all the rune poems that are relevant. Eventually down the road, I might add my own interpretations onto it. We'll see. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it'd be great if you added your own interpretations, honestly, because I think, I think that's what I mean. Really, what a lot of people ask Sarah, you for. some more work. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I'm giving you shit, what a lot of people ask you for, and I think I can't think of a better source that uh, for rune information that is more open and inclusive, right? And I think that's the big thing that's a hunger out there. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of bad and slanted and hateful sites out there i think the more positive ones we can get the better more positive information the better that's that's fair i I also am one of the few people who at least explicitly talks about the runes of spirits so i probably should put more of that content on there um so yeah that's that's a good chunk of my month (laughs) (laughs) yeah i imagine well the thing with wordpress pages is sometimes the formatting comes out really fucking weird Yes, And so it wasn't good enough that I actually like smushed the information in there and made it look all pretty. For some reason, the entire formatting was jacked and I had to redo it again. So like 
Ah, what the fuck? <laughs> so, oh, how about you, brother? Oh, not doing too bad. Just kind of, you know, getting through the summer, trying to keep the fox out of the hens, that sort of thing. So, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. We only got one adult hen left, and that fox oh, no. wants it really bad. <laughs> but well, I, I hope country I hope. life. Yeah, I trust. I get it. We have a fox that likes to roam through our patio too. Yeah, he's pretty, but when you get chickens, <laughs> get the fuck out. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I suppose I want to have the most amount of time we we can have with our Absolutely. guests. So, would you want to do introductions, or you want me to? No, I got it. All right. So, Morgan Daimler is an author, teacher of esoteric subjects, witch, and priest of, and I'm sorry, I'm going to probably butcher this, Nadoi Maith, a prolific pagan writer. Morgan has published more than three dozen books, both fiction and nonfiction, and presented workshops and various, various events and conferences. They're also a very experienced translator of some of the oldest forms of the Irish language, assisting many modern-day pagans access to the oldest Irish lore, and you can find them at their Patreon, patreon.com slash Morgan Daimler. And we will have all these links available in the show notes once we uh, go live on that. Morgan is best known for their writing on Celtic mythology, folklore, and contemporary druidry, but the range of topics covered by this author and teacher is truly phenomenal. Fully agreed, because uh, I have several of their books, and they're awesome. Uh, born and raised in the United States, they've always been interested in folklore, mythology, and spiritual aspects of nature. On discovering modern druidry as a teenager, they began to practice and soon became involved with Celtic Reconstructionist groups. Their best uh, non-fiction best-selling books on Celtic mythology and folklore include Through the Mist, a dual-language Irish mythology book, which I cannot tell you how much that is sorely needed because, holy crap, and I know we need it for for our communities too in heathenry because like trying to get through to people, like this is what it looks like. (laughs) This is how it's written. This is what it means. Yeah. A New Dictionary of Fairies is another one, and Gods and Goddesses of Ireland, A Guide to Irish Deities. Many of their books are published through Moon Books, which is a UK-based publisher of books on modern spirituality and alternative religion. In these books, Daimler explores the rich heritage of Irish folklore and mythology and offers readers a deeper understanding of the beliefs and practices of the ancient Celts in a modern context. They're also a sought-after teacher and public speaker, having given lectures and workshops on a variety of subjects, including Celtic spirituality and the fairy faith, and they've been featured on multiple podcasts, and now this one, and YouTube interviews. <laughs> they're passionate about sharing knowledge and helping others to connect with their own spiritual path. Overall, Morgan Dunmer is a well-respected figure in the modern pagan community and a leading voice in the study and practice of Celtic spirituality. Yes, I blatantly read that off of irishpaganschool.com because <laughs> it's an awesome write-up, and I couldn't have done a better job. So and don't forget welcome. The, their, their own podcast, Feed the Fairies. Yes, I was just going to say, their, their links are in. Yep. Feed the Fairies is excellent. If you folks want some no bullshit resources and excellent conversations between two practitioners who know their stuff, I highly recommend because it's it's Morgan Daimler and Cat Heath just talking for an hour to two hours at a whack on whatever the subject of the day is. Highly recommend. I've I've, re- I've listened to both of the uh, episodes that are up right now. I recommend it for anybody of any experience level. So welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. I got so caught up listening to you, I wasn't paying attention <laughs> to me talking. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I, I think we have a third episode coming out I know you're going to like because it's about reconstruction versus gnosis. Yes! Oh, awesome. Yes. yes. That's such a huge topic. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's one that more people, I think, should talk about. So hopefully it's, that'll be good. It's been a bugbear. And something that I've been talking about for most of my time as a heathen, because, yeah, yeah, there, there's reconstruction and then there's living the, yeah, 
living the well, religion. I mean, it's a natural struggle because there's, sure. there's part of us that are, you know, you, you initially become captivated with all these myths and stories and how things used to be. And so you want to feel connected to that. But then that can sometimes, as we've discovered, become extremely limiting for what comes next. So that's a natural mm-hmm. conversation that has to happen. And it's, it's one that in my own journey, I've gone on. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's easy to fall into that sort of false dichotomy of you either have to be one or you have to be the other when actually, you know, the blending the two works really well. Weird. It's like they're opposites of the same coin. Huh. It is. It's, <laughs> it's like they were like meant to work together. <laughs> yeah, it's so, almost like things happen over the course of human history. And yeah, yeah it's not. Go, go ahead. Sorry. It's almost like spirituality is interactive or something. What? Weird. <laughs> I know. You mean I don't just tap A and get the cutscene? Damn. See, now I'm imagining what that would be like. Just like <laughs> light a candle, pour out some mead, fun montage scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just ima- <laughs> this this pro- this is programmed like shit. This is all quick time events. What the hell? <laughs> I'm thinking of some of the old video game codes and like your ritual is a bunch of candles lined up that just say A, B, A, B, up, down, up, down. <laughs> oh my God. I get to the cheat screen here. Yep. Yep. And if you do it wrong, you have to start over. Oh, Isn't that what the PGM was basically? <laughs> I think there's a couple books out there that's basically the premise behind them. It's like, how can we have cheat codes for our religion? <laughs> So um, tries to have cheat codes for everything. So I mean, sorry, sorry brother. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I'm just my brain is just going off into Konami code land. Going all right. So, um, so like what, one of the things that we really wanted to touch base with you on was uh, the the fairy faith and the other crowd because so much of your work touches not only touches on that but it's really deeply infused with this mm-hmm. and. Um, one of the things that really excited me about bringing you on, besides a ton of people going, you need to have Morgan on, you need to have Morgan on, was like, okay, but what do you actually want me to ask about? And they, a lot of people really wanted to pick your brain about what actually working with the Aoshi and various other crowd is like in the modern age. And what's the big difference between now versus then? Those are some good questions. Um, Thanks. I I honestly am not sure there is a huge difference today versus in the past um, when it comes to actually working and interacting with them. Just because of the nature of sort of who and what they are. Um, like we have technology, we have all sorts of things going on that, you know, weren't around 100 years ago, 200 years ago. But they are still beings who have a specific kind of focus um, and specific things that they tend to to influence. Um, It's interesting to note, I guess, that they they don't seem to get along with modern technology, not in the sense of like, I've never gotten a feeling like they're not interested in it or are like, you know, against computers but electronic stuff doesn't tend to work well (laughs) around them um i usually warn people when i do interviews like this that we often will get like weird tech issues happening i've kind of gotten to a place now where like enough offerings get made enough milk gets poured out 
it seems like it's okay, but um, they just, it seems like in their nature, they, they have sort of a glitch effect on technological stuff. So I haven't personally seen a lot of crossover with them into more modern sorts of things. Um, now, mind you, I'm saying my personal experience, and this is with the Irish, um, you know, specifically, I speak Irish, I can't speak English today, apparently. Athena um, Mata being the good folk, the good people. Um, I do know that there's other sorts of beings we would in English call fairies that people do associate with like modern technology and tech things. Um, even gremlins come to mind. That's a role. I was just going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they clearly love technology, particularly destroying it, but yeah, they love technology so much. They want to take it apart and see what makes it tick. And unfortunately you need that flight navigator. Yeah. I was going to say usually in midair, like, right. This will be entertaining. Let's see what happens when we pull it apart. Check it out. Um, yeah. Oh, engine failure. <laughs> Oops. So yeah, there's definitely certain types of beings out there that that are seemingly interested, invested in that. Just my personal experience with um, what we would call in in Irish Athena Maha, very similar to the Norse or the Icelandic Alfar, mm-hmm. um, the elves. Uh, they just, it seems like whatever their nature is, whatever their energy is, they get around tech stuff and it gets weird. weird I find, things happen. I, I find that too with the Alfar. What I find interesting is it depends on the technology with the Dvergar. So if it's to sense. build something, they're usually pretty chill with it. Like modern propane tanks, for instance, and propane systems for forges. They're usually pretty chill with that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to some of the more complex stuff or... I wonder if, at least for the Dvergar, if it is a right to repair issue for them because the technology gets so complex that you can't fix it. Yeah, that's fair. You know? But and I mean, that for would, the Alphar, I, I, I find a lot of what you're talking about with the Alphar as well. Yep. And that was a bit of a learning curve for me. I didn't initially approach it that way. Like, I didn't have that idea in mind. And I actually used to tell people, like, one way to tell if it's something like the the good folk versus say like human ghosts is that oh the good folk they don't affect electronic things and i quickly learned that that is not the case <laughs> that they do um and that they'll like batteries will drain and and stuff will glitch out and all kinds of strangeness um i did an interview once where when we were um recording the interview it sounded completely fine the host could hear me i could hear him not a problem and when he went to check it back to edit it there was like a, a vibrating tone through the he couldn't use the anything in the whole episode because there was this weird like artifact <laughs> that was happening so yeah they they definitely have an interesting effect on technology which is my roundabout way of saying I don't think that they particularly interact much with that sort of thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. which loops me back to the original question, which is interacting with them for me, I think is very similar to how it would have been in the past for, for anyone, uh, you know, because they, they don't do much with the tech stuff. So what they do connect to and what you connect to them through is going to be non-technological <laughs> for the most part. Although I don't have any cows. So. Yeah, fortunate thing in that regard. 
Yeah. I mean, I wish I did. Cows are awesome. My, my sister's a dairy farmer. She has cows. I admire them from a distance, but my neighbors would not appreciate <laughs> if I had a cow. So no, no fresh milk offerings here. That's what, do you think it's, do you think it's just because the, the, the fair folk are so connected to nature and a lot of technology is so artificial and constructed or what do you, what do you think the reason for that might be? So I actually, um, and this is my personal opinion before everyone listening to this, like jumps into the comments to, Oh no, this is new lore. Um, The idea of of the good folk being nature spirits is kind of a modern one, um, really heavily influenced by theosophy and and the Victorians. I can get on a good rant about the Victorians without much motivation. Um, (laughs) So good, they like we like rants. We like rants. Yeah, I don't know that they're really super connected to the natural world per se as that they have kind of a vested interest in certain places and also in certain things. So like they're very Mm -hmm. into dairy products, um, which the alpha are as well, as far as I'm aware. Um, It's actually really common globally for certain types of spirits to be very into dairy. Dairy is popular. And there's a long history in the Irish of humans sort of being in this, kind of like a pact situation with the good folk where we owe them a portion of our grain harvest and our dairy harvest. So I think that comes into play a little bit as well. Um, But I honestly think the, the weird tech thing is more just the way their energy is Um, that what, like I said, whatever their nature is. um, I also have a lot of personal theories about the whole iron thing, Mm -hmm. why iron wards them off and why they don't like being around iron. Um, because that's one we don't have any answer to that. There's no mythology or folklore or anything that says this is why some types of the good folk don't want to be around iron. So everyone kind of has different theories. Um, one of my aspects, one of my theories with it, uh, the aspect of the theory, is that iron is something that's very grounding. And whatever their energy is, whatever their magic is, if we want to call it that, um, doesn't do well, doesn't function well around that particular metal. And I think that's the same reason when you get them around technological stuff that things get real weird because mm-hmm. it just it has that, um, that effect. I would be really curious if I had unlimited finances and time to do like a Faraday cage and see how that would work with their energy in a bunch of different ways. A, a fairy day cage, as it were. <laughs> yes, yes. You're such a dad. I'm going to pretend that that pun was intended. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. Um. Oh shit! I had a question. Oh hell! Yeah, come back to me in a bit. I'll... Yeah, it'll it'll come back. It's still there somewhere. It is. It's it's like on the tip of my tongue. Something Fuck. like iron or grounding related. Uh, yes. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Um, See, so that did it. With, with regards to uh, the iron, quote, allergy that is usually, like, recounted in a lot of both folkloric and modern sources, you've mentioned a couple of times now that not all of the other crowd 
are allergic or have that reaction to it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you know or if you've experienced particular folk that don't have that reaction and why that reason might be. Is it similar in that aspect you just mentioned? Sure. So um, I will say up front that the whole the allergy thing is also another of my my theories. Like some people agree with that, some people don't. Um, before the whole audience is is jumping too much on that, right? One of one of many theories. Um, but I suspect it has to do with the nature of the being. So, like um, forge spirits spirits that are kind of by nature supposed to be around um, any kind of thing, kind of crafting um, whether it's blacksmithing or even in more modern terms, um, any kind of forging uh, of metals to be clear, as opposed to other sorts of forging, which should also probably attract fairies, but different, different thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Metal forging. Um, I think that if you're going to have, beings that are are attracted to that energy who are kind of that's their environment then of course they're not going to be sensitive to any kind of metal um they're they're going to be good with pretty much anything that's going on there and the other main exception that we see besides the gods because iron does not work on gods in case anyone was wondering about that um is hearth spirits and i think that's a little bit of the same um, I mean, if we were going to draw a super broad conclusion, and I do not believe that these beings are elementals, I'll say that up front, but it does seem like the ones who are the most comfortable around fire are also the ones that metal alloys don't seem to bother. So you can kind of make of that, I guess, what you will. Well, it's kind of a, a similar uh, thing where you've got some of these spirits that will work really well with modern tech and I, again, because of my lack of experience with the other crowd, but relatively more experience with the Alphar, the Dvergar, I'm going to use these as analogs as best I can. My experience with the Dvergar is that that modern technology is pretty cool with them as long as it's something that enables you to do a thing, like more effectively or efficiently. Like if, for instance, you can't hold a chisel, but you can use a Dremel, they're not going to give you shit for it. Um. But there's just certain certain things that they don't seem to appreciate as much. And I think it's probably to do with, on the one hand, I think this relates back to stories of when modern industrial technology first came along and there were stories of the dwarves packing up and leaving as the blasting started. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if there are similar stories of the Alfar in that case. Or not Alfar, I'm sorry, uh, the, the, the other crowd. Yeah, I was going to say the Alphar, actually, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not 100% sure the Alphar part of it, but with the the Irish other crowd and and related beings like the Scottish um, as well, we definitely have a lot of stories, um, but usually it's related specifically to iron. So like when the trains were coming in, the train tracks being largely iron and then the train itself, of Uh. course, being just a gigantic rolling chunk of iron um <laughs> so choo-choo <we> <laughs> grounding motherfuckers <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> grounding for everyone um so yeah so we do have stories about when the trains were coming in the you know the good folk making a big point of leaving an area or saying they were leaving an area because of that and we have a few stories where it's church bells but they're iron church bells 
um, and it seems to be more localized to like the immediate area. Um, but that gets into a whole complicated thing because mm-hmm. the, the Christian church and the good folk also are sort of a weird, like there are certain ones kind of like with the iron. There yeah. are certain ones who, who might actually be Christian themselves. And we do have stories about that. Um, largely because the good folks sometimes supplement their numbers by stealing humans and then giving them an otherworldly makeover. And in contrast, we have other stories about the good folk who just absolutely cannot stand anything Christian, um, will not stay around it, um, whether it's prayers or symbols or any of it, they just, they don't want any part of it, um, which Again, you know, I think it's pretty clear in a lot of those stories, it's because those were powers that were being used to drive them out or attempted to be used to drive them out. And they sort of took that personally. (laughs) So, you know, not a fan, Um, but it's, it's sort of a, a mixed bag. Um, mm-hmm. But we we do have these stories about um, iron church bells, and it's a toss up as to whether it was the iron that was the problem or whether it was the Christian church that was the problem. I I've experienced similar echoes in uh, in in folklore about the Alfar. Mm-hmm. Uh, hat tip to uh, Claude Lacouteau, mm-hmm. uh, who compiled a lot of this. Um, love his books. Mm, same. Uh, his, something he points out that I, I, there was another thread. There it is. Uh, something I wanted to ask was over time. One of the things that he notes is that the elves, fairies, dwarves, all these mythological beings start getting smushed together or reblended and repackaged over time. Thanks Victorians. Um, I'll lay a lot of that at their feet, but to be fair, it was also a long-term thing too, as he notes in his, I think it's... We can blame the Victorians, it's fine. Okay, fine. Um, Do you find a similar phenomenon with the other crowd? So it's actually really interesting. Um, And this is talking about the Irish other crowd as well as related beings in the UK. Um, So this would be everything from English fairies up um, through Welsh and Scottish and, and Cornish and all that. It's interesting to note, if you go back far enough, um, which would be the oldest material we have, uh, this would be 9th century, so that would be Anglo-Saxon, um, and then the, the earliest Irish material that we have in writing. All of these terms are pretty generic. It, it mm. really was just a, the human in question was like, I don't know what it is, so we're going to call it one of the Ishi, or we're going to call it a Puga, or we're going to call it um, an Elfa. Elf, I should say, because elf is plural. So that would make no sense. Um, call it an elf. And, you know, I, and Alaric Hall discusses this a lot, which I love his work and highly recommend it. Um, and in, I believe, his, one of his books, he talks about the way that anything that was like an, an otherworldly sort of spirit that wasn't a human ghost, it wasn't a demon, um, you know, it wasn't like clearly any of these other categories would just be called an elf. And so we see all these examples of like water elves and meadow elves and mountain elves. And it just, they would just tack elf onto anything and be like, that's what that is. Um, and we see a little of that in the Irish too, where it's just this sort of, there's the, the issue, the people of the fairy mounds, 
and there's all sorts of things that are going on in there and all sorts of, you know, everything from like beautiful to monstrous, from helpful to going to eat you to this whole range. And then we kind of move forward in time a little bit. And that's why I think we start to see this more rigid classification happening where, you know, now we have like this specific named type of being and this other specific named type of being. And then we hit, as you mentioned, the Victorians, waving my fists in the air, and um, they actually kind of reversed the process, but in a very heavy-handed, absolutely no nuance sort of way. They were just like, well, we're just going to call everything, you know, in in this big pile and not bother to sort through it. And I think that's actually caused us a lot of problems today because we're back to things being a little more generic, but before it was generic with nuance, if that makes sense. Like, right, right. Well, like something that, that happens uh, in, in heathen and Norse, old Norse study circles is like, you will get some people that will clearly differentiate between the Dvergar and the Alfar. Then you're going to get some people who will mush them together, say they're one people. And then you'll get people who will say the Dvergar, the Alfar, and the Svart Alfar are completely different. And I tend to fall in the latter category, but I also understand that a lot of that's my personal experience. And it's not necessarily backed up by scholarship. Well, and and I mean, like, from an outsider's perspective, I even start to wonder, like, how separate are the different groups that both of you are studying you've already made the comparison these are beings from northern climates they're both lactose tolerant uh, <laughs> <laughs> lactose preferential yeah <laughs> you know, so like really how how blurry and you know and they come from uh, um groups that have interacted with each other and faded each Definitely. other yeah. you know married so like how much connection is there between these these and how, how the temptation is to separate them, but how, how interrelated are they even? Yeah, I think that, I think we always have to kind of look at all of this as very fuzzy mm-hmm. borders. Um, I will say that there's a lot of Irish influence on early Icelandic culture. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think is why we see, particularly in Iceland, a much closer relation to what we find in Irish belief than what we find in, say, Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at like the German beliefs around elves and, you know, similar types of beings, um, they tend to be much more distinctly a separate thing. Um, whereas when you go to Iceland, the, the crossover with the Irish, it gets real blurry <laughs> in some and, places. And I think that that continues to this day to the point where even atheist Icelanders will still respect the quote, uh, elf churches yes alpha yeah i got to see one of those when i was in iceland it's a very interesting experience I, I would love to take a trip to iceland denmark that whole region is on my my to-do list for that reason if nothing else i highly oh. recommend iceland if you get a chance it's it is just a gorgeous place you know everything else aside and there's a million other reasons to want to go see it but it is just amazingly gorgeous well, I mean, pure, pure speculation on my part, but just it seems to me that for good or for ill, some of those uh, differentiations might be, thank you, Mr. Motorcycle, might be a lot more uh, hard definition because the German cultures were influenced by the Romans. 
And the, the Romans like to define things a lot Romans, more categorically. They did, yeah, they did like their categories. That's true. <laughs> Germans also tend to like things neat and tidy. <laughs> well, they do I, now, but when you look back to when there was oh, no, I, a I'm number of kingdoms that would fight with yeah, each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. but. I think... I think part of what's cause, what causes us problems today mm-hmm. is that our modern culture is very category-oriented. We really like to know exactly what a thing is, how it relates to other things. And part of the problem when you look at either the mythology or the folklore for any of this is that what a thing got called was usually just based on the person telling the story what their framework was. So we have stories, um, particularly in the Irish, where, you know, the word mermaid gets used for what is clearly what we would understand in other folklore as a selkie. It's, you know, a person who can appear as a seal in the water, can take their seal skin off and appear as a human on land. And selkies are found, you know, all from Scotland all the way to Iceland. Um, It's very widespread folklore. Uh, but we'll find stories in some places in Ireland where they are calling them mermaids, even though clearly that is not what is being described in the story, not that classical Mediterranean mermaid concept. So I think when I started realizing that was when I started to realize how messy all of this actually is. That, you know, you can't necessarily trust, you know, an anecdotal account saying, well, this is this, because they were just using the most familiar term they had which may or may not really fit what they're talking about in a wider mm. sense. Yeah. I, I think that the, the lines get awfully blurry. I think for me, what differentiates an alpha versus somebody in the other crowd is if they have allegiance, because what, for me, what really does differentiate an alpha from one of the Aoshi is where they live ultimately, or what world they call home. I, I kind of see them, we're just plunging into Gnosis now, but that's yeah, fine. It's that's a fine. fun place to be. Um, I tend to see them almost like the same way I would see Irish and Icelandic co- human cultures. Like they're not identical, but they're related. Mm-hmm. And so they, they share some things. Um, the Icelandic Alfar, if we're talking about Alfar culture, are definitely a lot more welcoming and lenient Mm -hmm. (laughs) i have to think how carefully i can say this um and you know there's there's some other specific differences but just they tend to be a little more forgiving a little more easygoing um the irish issue as i i've said you know many times in many different contexts do not grade on a curve so like we have icelandic folk tales of someone who kind of is rude or messes something up with one of the alpha but they don't know and then they realize and they apologize and you know it, it doesn't end too badly for them um whereas with the ishi like they don't care <laughs> <laughs> that you didn't know better um you know if they're mad they're gonna be mad um so it's things like that to me that are are kind of the big differences i would definitely be a lot more worried about being rude or offensive with the the Irish good folk, um, and they they do not tend to. I don't want to say even be lenient, but they if they're going to respond to something, they're usually going to respond to it in a, an excessive manner. Hmm. 
I, I would agree with that. I think something that, that kind of stuck out to me looking at some of the folklore with the Alphar is when humans did screw up and made amends, oftentimes the Alphar would come back around again and bless them mm-hmm. because, yep, you screwed up, but now we have a relationship. Yep. Whereas at least, and keep in mind, I am in no way, shape or form an expert on either the Alphar or the, the other crowd. What seems to be is this almost punitive like you have broken the rules. This is the consequence. Yep. It's not even necessarily punitive. It's just, you know, you, you may not have known the rules of the game, but you should have. And you fucked up. Yeah. I, I will often joke that you really need like fairy lawyers mm-hmm. to, to sort of explain, but it's, it's a similar concept. Like if you as a human break a law and you didn't know there was a law about it, you didn't know you weren't supposed to do the thing, but you get caught, you're still going to be in trouble. Right. Like, for the most part, just saying like, oh, you know, pleading ignorance, I didn't realize, is not going to help you. And th- that's kind of how the Irish HGR, um, in a lot of ways, like, it does not matter to them whether you knew better or not. You did the thing, and now you're going to have to have the consequences for doing the thing. Um, whereas other types of <clears throat> similar beings, like the Alphar, they do seem much more willing to be like okay you know you know better and you're willing to make amends and yes now we have a relationship and we can be friends like the the irish she do not tend to work that way for the most part i mean it's, and i'm making a lot of generalizations here it's like anything else spirits are going to do what they're going to do they have their own free will and agency if they just happen to like a person you know i have a friend who for you know assorted reasons these sorts of spirits just really seem to like him so he has done some things that i would 100 percent never recommend (laughs) for people to do and the response with spirits always seems to be like amusement like oh look at him he's at it again you know whereas anybody else would be like lightning from the sky (laughs) i i get it i get it i have i have seen people who have told me one moment don't ever do this they go do the thing (laughs) And they not only come out smelling like roses, they actually have a bouquet in their arms. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I, have to, I have to admit, like, I have done that on occasion where I'll tell people under no circumstances, never do this ever. This is terrible. Don't do it. And then I do the thing. And like, I realize this looks really bad, but it's, it's circumstances and, and situational relationships and like, it, don't be me. Basically, yeah. so yeah, and I think we all know that person who just seems to have like the favor of the gods, you know, like they can do any stupid thing and not only get away with it, but come out better on the other side of it. I think the gods are just amused as hell with them. Yeah, they're like a Terry Pratchett character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, rinse wind luck here. That's the. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Of. <laughs> yes. So as long as I'm on the, on the subject, you know, and and obviously I don't expect definitive answers. Just we'll look at the conversation and the gnosis on it. But one of the most vehement arguments I tend to see online is this whole the fair folk and the new world. Do they exist here or don't they? And boy, you can see some people go to war over that topic. I'd love to hear any thoughts that you have on it. 
Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have also witnessed a lot of drama. Um, I'm actually working on a book right now on this topic, specifically with the Celtic fair folk um, in the New World. But I think this would apply much more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so two aspects to this. I mean, my personal opinion, I think that it's not up to us to limit what spirits can and cannot do and where they can and cannot go. Um, And I would certainly never tell any spirit from any culture that it, you know, was geographically limited to our modern boundaries for that culture, um, which a lot of times are very modern. Um, Other than that, though, I think we actually have quite a lot of folklore that um, talks about these spirits following people, following groups of people. Um, There tends to be a lot of reciprocal relationship that happens between a spirit or a type of spirit and a human community um, that believes in them, which that would be a whole separate conversation to dig into that. But when that community or a portion of that community leaves a place and goes to a new place, I think a lot of times they take at least some of those spirits with them. So we do have accounts um, in Canada, which actually is a, a very well-established um, Scottish and Irish uh, immigrant community, as well as in some parts of the United States of, and going back, I should say, you know, hundreds of years of people talking about these beings, talking about fairies and pixies and, you know, uh, what have you from their culture, leprechauns um, in the new world. I shouldn't say that so bad, not the new world because there were people here and it was not new, bad Morgan. I I used it too. It's just one of those, one of those euphemisms that I haven't weeded out of my brain yet, but as soon as it came out of my mouth, my brain was like, no, (laughs) Um, yes, coming to the Americas. Turtle Island? Um, <laughs> Turtle Island? Yes, Turtle Island. Turtle Island. Um, and of course, there's indigenous spirits here. And of course, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of things going on. Um, but, you know, for example, even if we look at Europe, um, cultures move, you know, right. historically. And when cultures move, they take their beliefs with them. You know, Iceland was not, it has had, you know, Norse presence, Icelandic presence for a thousand years, but it not originally. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the Alfar are not what we would say indigenous to Iceland. No, they immigrated. Yeah. Um, you know, so if we look at examples like that, historically, we have the examples in folklore, we have the examples. So, I just am very hesitant to adopt the the idea now, and it does seem to be something that's been trending for the last five to ten years. Um, I really didn't run across it much before that, that no, these spirits are very geographically locked. I mean, obviously, some land spirits are, you know, that that's where they're from, that's where they're going to be. Um, but land other, spirits, they tend to be where the land is. Fucking weird. Yeah, it is. It's very strange. Um just, you know, to be clear, like there are spirits like land spirits that they, <laughs> if that's their rock or their waterfall or their whatever, that's where they're going to be. But there's lots of other spirits that they've always been known to be mobile. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fair folk in Ireland or Scotland um, are known to move their homes around to different areas. 
Um, we have beings like the Sluishi, the fairy host, who we have stories of them taking people across the um, ocean to France, usually to mess with them. Like, here's your, here's your fun surprise vacation. We're taking you and dumping you in France. Good luck figuring out how to get back home. Um, you know, so we know that they have this ability to move, to travel over water. Because you'll also see people arguing they can't be in other places because they can't cross water. And again, that's a confusion with there are certain types of specific beings who, you know, folklore tells us they can't cross or they won't cross bodies of water. Um, but we have lots of others that do, um, you know, regularly. Right. In Ireland, there's plenty of stories about people who get chased a good distance, including like jumping over streams and, and rivers and things. So, mm -hmm. you know, it I can was happen. just joking in chat that France is the other world. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was just thinking to myself how hilarious it is that the, the, the fair folk would be like, well, fuck, the people that give, leave us milk and cheese have moved. We got to fucking follow them if we want more milk and cheese. Yeah, seriously, though. Like, <laughs> like if your trading partners have been trading with you for generations, why the hell wouldn't you follow them? <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, there's actually one anecdotal account in the fairy faith in Celtic countries, and uh, I believe this is from Scotland, but this is a person who had a fairy lover. Um, which sometimes works out well for the human, sometimes does not. In this case, he did not want to continue the relationship. Oh, no. Um, and yes, the, the fairy woman did not accept that. Um, so he finally, he actually fled to, um, I can't remember if it was Canada or the United States, but he fled across the Atlantic Ocean trying to get away from this fairy woman and then wrote a letter back to his family. It was like, it didn't work. She just, she followed me. So she's still with me. <laughs> oh, God. So there, 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 there needs to be fairy divorce lawyers as well. <laughs> it reminds me so much of the swan maidens in uh, Norse uh, sagas. Like, yeah. Oh, just don't do it. Don't do it unless you're ready for that multiple lifetime commitment, dude. Yes, that actually, I mean, I know we're kind of joking, but that actually is something I tell people because I, I get a lot of people private messaging me on social media who kind of want to know, like, how can I? Sorry, just the, the... <laughs> I love it. Please go. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a reason I have a YouTube channel. My most famous popular video is fairies, humans and sex, because I've become like the Dr. Ruth of fairies, I guess, but <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. I get people who, who do they they reach out. Cause they're like, how do I do this? How do I, you know, what's the fairy version of, of like Tinder or match.com or, you know, <laughs> one or the other. Um, and usually what I tell them is just, just don't, <laughs> like, this is not, is not going to end well most likely for you um so definitely don't be out like trying to find that sort of thing because if it works you're probably going to be getting back in touch with me to try to figure out how to to make it not work to get out of it so yeah don't do that yeah i i agree that is something i've seen even in my encounters more online everybody wants to be 
a god spouse or have a relationship with the fae a relationship with the fae and that sort of thing so yeah that is a lot more common than it used to be and that that does cause a lot of fights and arguments as well amongst uh, the us human folk about whether that's yeah I mean, advisable it, or not <laughs> it definitely is a thing there's a huge right. historic precedent for it and you know huge folkloric precedent for it and it is something that still happens today but I, I do think that a lot of people jump into it without understanding, especially when it comes to the good folk. I really can't get into like God spouses, but when it comes to the good folk, that when they say forever, they mean it. They, they don't just mean like for as long as you're still interested in it or for as long as you're alive in this human life, like they, they mean forever, forever. Right. And unlike other types of spirits, you know, God's inclusive, it is very, very difficult to break an agreement or any sort of oath you've made with one of the good folk. Like, it's just a whole big mess. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can you do it? Can you? Well, can you do it as in can you get into this sort of relationship? Sure. Can you get out of it? Sometimes. Check your TOS. Check your TOS, dear gods. Yeah, yeah. So this is, I just advise people to be really cautious and just be aware that it's, you know, it's a very serious commitment, which nobody listens anyway, but I'm like, just I'm talking to myself at this point. <laughs> I trust, I get it. I, I have the same issues whenever it comes to working with any of the various gods, ancestors, or Vetu. Like, it, it, it's not like, it's not like don't do it. It's yeah. going with both eyes open and a clear understanding of what you're getting yourself into. Not don't do it. Just yeah. be aware of what you're promising, what you're doing, what you're obligating yourself to. Exactly. And that's the biggest mistake most people make is they jump right in and then they're promising like left, right, and center. Absolutely everything. Um, they're over committing. And then it's like, well, this, this isn't like other sorts of spirits or deities even where you can realize I changed my mind or this is too difficult or it's too much. So, you know, I need to, I need to have, you know, a, a spiritual divorce happen here because a lot of times for the good folk, the answer is going to be no, <laughs> you know, unless they also want right. to do that. And usually they don't, um, it, you know, they're going to, the only way they'll let you get out of it is you have to offer them something they want more. And that gets really tricky. Yeah. I I can imagine. Is that, so is that the most frustrating question that you run across the most often or is there one that's worse? (laughs) Um, I think that's probably the most frustrating because that's the one where I know they're not listening. Um, (laughs) You know, because they, they want to know how, to do the thing and I, i'm basically telling them you really don't want to jump into this you need to really think about it and just be aware of the sort of commitment you're talking about um and that's not what they want to hear so usually they just go on and then do the thing um so yeah that's that's frustrating i think Beyond that, probably the second thing would be the people who have done something offensive and are dealing with the consequences of that and then want to know, like, what's the easiest way to fix this? 
And it's like, well, I have bad news for you because <laughs> there, <laughs> there is no easy way. Easy is not going to be in this conversation. Um, and a lot of times they don't like to hear that either. But I think for a lot of people, the good folk aren't really real. Right. I was just going to say. Yeah. And, so. and you, you, you encounter this with various gods, ancestors, and spirits as well. Like once you start taking this seriously, you start realizing the impact of developing relationships has yeah. meaning. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think when it comes to the gods, for the most part, in my experience, um, and this was, you know, 10 years with Odin and, you know, decades with various Irish gods, um, most of them, even the ones that are a little more um, rigid and unbending with things, you know, if you really don't want to do the thing, if you really don't want to continue um, serving them or being associated with them or you want to do a different thing, they might not be thrilled about it, but, mm-hmm. you know they'll let you do what you need to do or what you're going to do anyway. And the good folk just don't work that way. Um, like I've, I've seen this thing that goes around online sometimes where people will say, you know, if you're connected to a deity and your deity is like harming you or forcing you to do things you don't want to do, or, you know, basically like an, it's an abusive relationship and it always kind of makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, there's not, they're not wrong, but you can't apply that to the good folk. Mm-hmm. Because if you get into any kind of serious working relationship with them, um, particularly specific types of them, um, you are basically agreeing in that TOS, <laughs> you are agreeing to do what they tell you to do if they think it needs to be done. And there is no out. There right. is no end date to the contract, you know, unless you're smart enough to negotiate one at the start, which very few people are. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, there are consequences for that um, in, in very tangible ways. So mm. Mm, yeah, caution, I, lots of caution. I think from, from myself to put some nuance on that from my perspective as somebody who's served Odin the entire time I've been a heathen, I think that, well, personal sovereignty is a thing. I think that if you sign it away at the beginning of the relationship, you've kind of fucked yourself. Mm-hmm. And I say that as somebody who kind of fucking did, because uh, I didn't fucking know any better. Yeah. Um, part of my work with Othin was also to like rediscover and and re up my personal sovereignty. And when that was a thing, then he said, "Okay, we can take we can take the chains off. We can take the the uh, the collar off at this point." Yeah. Not because he didn't trust me to make my own choices, but because I had put myself in a position where I was giving away my personal sovereignty. Yeah. And I think that sometimes when people get into these relationships with the gods, some of that shit they're doing because you would rush headlong just as much into another relationship that was way less forgiving. Yeah. Like just my personal gnosis talking here. I don't think anybody should take abuse, but I think that a lot of people are reifying their relationships with gods as though they're mom and dad and they're not. Yeah. In a lot of cases. Now, I say that as somebody whose last name is Odinson. So, like, you know, take what I'm saying here with bags of salt. This is personal gnosis territory, etc. But even in that relationship, there was a point. There was, there, I mean, and with Odin, I mean, there's always a point. You just can't escape it with the old man. Um, at least in, in my experience with him, 
part of the, the, the reason for locking down a lot of my choices was because I was going to fucking hurt myself or somebody else. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say Odin gets kind of a bad rep sometimes, but in my experience, I'm very fond of Odin still. Um, everything he does is for a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he ever does anything without a long-term goal. And I, I've never personally seen him do anything that was directly harmful to one of his adherents. Um, I, not to say that I haven't seen his adherents do harmful things, right? but that's them making their own human decisions. And I see it a lot with the Morrigan as well, where people will kind of blame yes. her for all sorts of things. And it's like, well, I don't think she's the one doing that. I think she becomes an excuse Mm-hmm. for for the person to do that um and then be like oh you know look the morgan's blowing up my life it's like well no you're kind of doing it to yourself rather handily i might add <laughs> right um and i, I do think there it, there can be a really fine line between um the gods genuinely directing or influencing people and people blaming them for things in their life um you know, when it comes to the good folk, they're, they are not subtle. Right. And if they're involved in something, you know, it's not going to be like you just feel like everything's really difficult for you or, you know, you're, you're just having all these problems and interpersonal relationship stuff, which gets blamed on the Morrigan constantly. Um, you know, if, if it's like stuff with the good folk, you know, and I've told this story before but I, I went blind for three days because i refused to do something they wanted me to do they're not subtle and they're if they want a thing done and you've you've signed up to that agreement that's the sort of thing that's going to happen <laughs> which is why i just warn people to be be very cautious i, I think it, it really gets to Something that I am I am seeing a lot in modern pagan circles, but I think I think to a certain degree because of how short form TikTok is, it kind of accelerates. We've talked about this on the show before, where TikTok, because of the short form content it is, accelerates a lot of these conversations and trends because we've seen like three or four passes of this particular thing go through TikToks, witch talk, and heathen talk communities already, and it started what like three four years ago. Um, I think that. Part, part of the, the, the taking serious of what you're doing and why you're doing it is realizing that you have manifest real consequences. Now, whether you see the gods as literally real or as, say, these are ways that our ancestors used to explain the cosmos, that still has a real fucking impact. Because if this is how you understand the cosmos, that extends to how you treat the cosmos yourself and everybody else around you. Whether or not the materiality of the gods is in question is a whole other philosophical discussion. How you treat the universe around you manifests through the thoughts you carry, the actions that manifest from that thought. So when we talk about, you know, not treating the good neighbors as actually having import, as having impact... When we're not talking about the trees having spirits, like when you can devalue and denature and disenchant the world, the trees just would its resources. So I can, I see a a good chunk of this attitude play out 
for better, for usually for the absolute fucking worst, because they start realizing in very manifest terms, this shit's not only real, it can affect them. Mm-hmm. And I know you've seen this with your work with the fairy faith. Yeah. What I see a lot, um, which is directly, I think, reflected in that is people who treat the good folk like vending machines. Like they get this idea of, I want to work with fairies because then I can wish for things and they'll make my life like really wonderful and I'll be happy all the time and sparkles and rainbows and whatever. Um, And, you know, that's just, it's a relationship. And these are beings who have independence and agency and their own agendas. You know, they're not just hanging around waiting for some human to, to ask them for something. So they have something to do. Um, And they certainly can be positive and beneficial. You know, I've had, you know, outright miraculous things that have happened in my life that I directly attribute to them. So there are benefits, there are positive things, but there's also the other side to that coin. And there's also that, you know, you have to put in, um, if you're going to get back, reciprocity involves you earning it, you know, really, you have to do something in order to get something back. It's not just a make a wish and wonderful things happen. Well, I think, I think something that, that strikes me as we were talking about this is, you know, something we, that you've brought up on your show that we've brought up on this show several times with a ton of different guests is relationship. Not there, there's not, it's not the, okay, I'm going to get this thing. And then the relationship is complete. Like that's a transaction. Yep. And that's fine for certain for certain spiritual relationships but generally speaking when you're talking about working with the other crowd or working with the alfar or just developing a relationship with the rock outside your house or the tree outside your house you're not talking about well the end goal is that once we get to a point in this relationship i'm going to turn you into rubble or a table yeah yeah no i think it's true for the gods too like a lot of people um and I, I sort of blame this on a lot of the books that were coming out in the 90s and 2000s, which is fair. I grew up on those too. But it's that cafeteria paganism, cafeteria witchcraft, where it's like, well, let me look up in this correspondence, which god or goddess do I need to call on today for you know a good coffee day? I don't know. Pick a random thing. And you get into that mentality and then much like seeing the the tree as just wood um, or, you know, the, the table of the future, you start to see the gods and the spirits as well as just a means to an end, um, as opposed to beings that you're in a relationship with um, in any sort of a context. And the, the good folk are very much about that. You know, they have expectations and um, they expect you to fulfill your end of whatever the situation is and you can't just look at them and say this is just wood that's going to be a chair someday you have to say okay this is a living breathing tree that's already doing all these things and contributing to the quality of the soil and the air that i'm breathing and all of this other stuff and how can i connect to that in a healthy way that's going to be beneficial for both of us or should i just leave it alone because it's fine without me if that makes any sense. Well, when you start viewing yourself as part of ecosystem, as opposed to a user or consumer, that is a, a, a mind shift that our overculture does very poorly at because we're very much a resource-based economy. 
And our overculture is saturated with mostly Christian influence, even within atheist circles. So the mindset that a lot of folks will begin to approach different pathways with, you know, my former Catholic, uh, I had one frame of reference for the first 18 years of my life. Well, it's at least 14, 16, but whatever. Um, so in coming away from that mindset, there was a lot of stuff that I had to slough off or syncretize. And how does this fit? How do I fit? Where do I fit? Is a question that I am happily seeing more and more in our communities. And I'm happy to see that it's less of a, well, I belong at the pinnacle and more like, where do I fit into this ecosystem of spirits, of beings, of the trees and the grass? And what is my role? Yeah. And what is my role with other beings as opposed to how am I going to change this landscape to suit me? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's definitely a move towards animism in Western paganism. Um, I'm hopeful that that will actually become real animism at some point. Um, Because mostly what I see now, and I know people are trying, so I don't mean this to be as critical as it's going to sound, but a lot of people that are coming from that very overculture kind of background approach animism in a very sort of plug and play kind mm-hmm. of way. Like, um, you know, I, I want to believe everything has a spirit, but that's not really my mindset. So this specific tree that I care about has a spirit in my mm-hmm. yard, but you have to kind of get your head around the idea that there's spirits in a lot of things, not just the things we like. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. um, I well, go goes this, to, sorry, sorry, please go ahead. Oh, no, that's what I was going to say. I go through this a lot with my car. Um, I've had my car for a long time. Um, she is very old, but she is a wonderful car and she definitely has her own spirit at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's as natural as anything else having a spirit. Um, but I do run into pagans who are like, no, nothing man made can have a spirit. Um, you know, it has to be in the natural world. It has to be, you know, and just there's, there's very narrow parameters. Um, yeah. They, separating ourselves from the natural world without even meaning to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get tend that. to think that there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things that are going on there sometimes. And one is simple self-protection and the other one is a matter of volume. It is very hard to be a tried and true animist in a world where we interact with so much on any given day. Yeah. Right. So like it, to some degree, it was a lot easier if it was, you know, a local, your local farm and your local orchard and your, you know, your local sort of river and rock. And so that's how a lot of it became associated with nature and stuff is the beginning with, but it's like, it's a lot easier to have that world perspective when, like an honest truth in the modern culture, we're dealing with so many different objects and things that have various levels and degrees of spirit to it that to keep that front of mind a lot would honestly be exhausting. I think I think once you get to a place where that's just the, the way you understand the world, um, it's just a way to perceive things i don't know i don't know a good way to explain this um well if you have to consciously remind yourself that this computer has a spirit for instance yeah 
you're having to consciously reinforce your relationship with that spirit. And if you believe that there are fire spirits that allow us to communicate right now, that's another layer. And if you're not used to thinking that way, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I'm not, I don't say this in any way trying to be judgmental. I just think it's, it's a way that people understand the world. I think it's great that more people are trying to get into more animistic um, frame paradigm. Uh, I just hope that we can start, you know, moving into a fuller version I guess is what I'll say. Certainly. Um, certainly. Yeah. I would wager it'd probably take us another 20 or so years because that's about what it took us in the 80s and the 90s to move past the gods just being archetypes and plug and play. I think I, we I saw, might, yeah. might even argue it's going to take longer than that because we've been acclimatized in and uh, built into a capitalistic worldview for far longer than that. And so it's going to take quite a while and quite a few generations to really reverse that to the point where it's a natural state. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I do think capitalism and animism do not mesh well. No. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with that. I, I would say raising a couple of polytheist animist kids that they get it Mm-hmm. so much more innately and they just i don't have to explain shit to them they're just like yeah that table has a spirit and we need to clean it to respect it okay yeah, they, yeah. there's just, a yeah um there was a psychologist um jean paget and i i don't agree with all of his theories because his real premise was basically the evolution into the you know human beings and truly civilized people being monotheists which is crap in my opinion but mm-hmm. um i do think he had one good point which is that all children all humans start out animus you know mm-hmm. all small children personify everything around them they have an innate understanding that just like they're alive um in some sense because children don't really understand life and, and death really until they're a little more um a little older but young children, toddlers and little children, they, they kind of understand that everything has a spirit in a way. And they have to be taught not to believe that. Mm-hmm. They have to be taught that like, no, you know, humans have souls, but other things don't or, or what have you. Um, and like I said, I disagree with the rest of where he went with that theory. But I do think that we all start out that way. We all start out with an understanding that, you know, the, the road has a spirit and a personality. The river has a spirit and a personality. Um, I mean, I can point to animals like cats and that's a little easier for people to get because they're interactive <laughs> and, you know, cuddly sometimes. Um, but, <laughs> you know, once you, you kind of take that understanding of like my cat has a spirit and a personality and so does that tree, and so does that rock, and, and so on. And obviously, there's degrees of animism. It's Animism mm-hmm. is not just like one big blanket thing, but, right. you know, different understandings out there. Actually, I, I would like to ask, too, because I think this is a good transition. I One of your titles that really intrigued me was one of your ones from earlier this year, The Pagan Portals, The 21st Century Fairy, The Good Folk in the New Millennium. Yep. And can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what inspired that and what kind, did you make any discoveries along the way, things that surprised you that, 
Tell me about the process of creating that book. Yeah. So um, a couple things had inspired it, like a couple questions I was getting asked when I was teaching. Um, but the main thing I think really was I kept running across people who, who were kind of romanticizing and um, treating fairies like an anachronism. Like, you know, when you encounter the good folk, they're always going to be sort of these 17th century or earlier types of beings. They're always going to have like, you know, Ren Fair attire. Um, they're always going to be these sort of frozen in the past, like little bugs in amber. Um, and we actually have so many modern accounts of people interacting with them, like fairies in jeans and tie-dye t-shirts and, you know, fairies in, in all sorts of different, very modern settings in cities, in apartment buildings, uh, you know, all these things. And I was also running into a lot of people who felt like fairies, even though they might believe in them, fairies were really sort of a thing of the past. Like people didn't still see them or encounter them um, as much as you might want to. And we ha just have all of this material, really, that, that contradicts that. And I wanted to put that out there for people and to kind of show people that, in fact, these are living beliefs. These are things that we still have and not just like pagans and witches who might be more inclined to it, but, you know, the general public in a lot of places, a lot of people, um, people will have encounters who did not believe in them beforehand and then they have an experience and they do believe in them after that. Um, I think the biggest things I learned um, honestly was that probably the reason so many people, particularly pagans and witches, don't think fairies are still around and don't believe we're still having experiences with them is because they have such a narrow understanding. I 100% blame the Victorians for this, by the way, and theosophy. They have such a narrow understanding of what fairies are that, you know, they could run into one of the good folk looking very human, just acting very uncanny as they tend to do. And that person would never even think that this, this is one of the fair folk. They might play it off as, oh, maybe that person was psychic or, you know, I felt like that I was meant to encounter that person for some reason, but they would never think it was one of the good folk because to them, a fairy is going to be tiny and winged and incorporeal, maybe just a little ball of light and maybe very childlike, you know, there's just, they have such a very narrow understanding of what these beings are today that I think we probably have a lot more encounters than are recorded because people don't even realize that's what ha what's happening because um, we've lost so much of the older folklore. So that was a lot of why I wanted to write the book. Um, and yeah, when I was working on particularly the sections about like pareidolia and um, uh, that basically that similar like common misconceptions people have that section um that was when i really kind of had that epiphany that like oh this a lot of the problem here is that the expectation of what these beings are is so specific and so narrow when it's such a huge broad category really sorry i just want to have like a whole mini rant about that. no i appreciate that <laughs> rant away <laughs> I, yeah, I go ahead, please. Oh no, it's just because it's just you know, I think it was a book that was needed. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the one who wrote it, but I wish someone else had written it. Nobody else did. So I had to. Um, <laughs> I because, feel you. <laughs> you know, sometimes that happens. And I think that, that we do need to kind of get that idea out there. I've seen a couple books on like urban fairies, but they're still sort of with that very narrow lens. And mm-hmm. I think we need to really broaden our understanding um, and it's actually really funny if you look back at the older folklore, which was so much broader, which is that general, like, we don't actually know what it was. We're just going to call it a fairy kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and that if we still had that attitude, I think a lot more people would have fairy experiences today. I think it's important to note that at least what, mind you, few accounts I've read, the fairies are showing up when they're showing up in a way that they can see they're showing up in garb that would have been the equivalent of jeans and a fucking t-shirt a lot of times. Yes. Yeah. And so it would make sense to me that we're going to have, you know, fairies and Alfar and Vergar that are going to show up in some modern looking clothing. Yeah. Now, granted, you know, I've, I've gone to Sarlafheim and some of these guys are wearing stuff like breeches because the forges are just so hot. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you get some some that are like walking around in the modern equivalent of, of jeans and a t-shirt, or maybe a tunic and some pants or something. Yeah. Um I think part of the issue is that we're isolating experiences to this broad thing called folklore, and then we're putting that in the past as though it's something mm-hmm. we cannot experience now. And I'm glad that you're you're kind of trying to break that mold. I'm I, trying. I, and and I, I appreciate the hell out of that because that's hard work. Because I also have this experience when people come to me and ask me, well, I think this might be Odin, but he didn't have the blue cloak on. He had, you know, he was some dirty old man with one eye and a hat, like a trucker hat or something. And I'm like, okay, was it slung down low over one eye? Because there's like archetypal things you can look for. Yeah. You know, and oh, no, that was probably him. He just wanted to give you a guise that was different. Yeah. Or maybe one that would speak more to your experience. Yeah. I mean, we certainly do have people who who have fairy experiences and see the stereotypical little winged fairy because that's what they expect. Mm-hmm. And they're being given what they expect. Um, but I've talked to people. I talked to someone. Um, she had had this experience a while ago. So I want to say like the 1980s, but um, she's doing laundry in her apartment building's basement. And this random guy just showed up. She had no idea how he'd even gotten in there. And he was literally wearing jeans, and like a tie dye t-shirt. And he just started talking to her and he was telling her things he shouldn't have known um, and giving her some good advice in a situation she was having some problems with. And then he just sort of ended the conversation and was like, okay, now I I have to go and sort of disappeared, um, like walked and and went in a direction. There was no way to leave the room and he was gone. And she was like, okay, I think that was a fairy, (laughs) you know, or an elf or, or what have you. Um, when I was in Iceland, one of the people in our group at one of the waterfalls encountered someone that they believe was one of the Alfar. And he looked, you know, like you would expect a, a human to look, was dressed for the weather because it was fairly cold when we were there. Um, but the same thing kind of appeared out of sort of nowhere and then made some very insightful comments that did not fit the context. Um, and then kind of disappeared back into nowhere. Um, so, you know, things like that, I think 
that stuff happens. And then much like the thing with Odin, you were just describing, it's so easy for people to rationalize that away and be like, oh, well, that was just a weird human. You know, that was strange, but I'm sure it was fine. Um, You know, I think honestly, we have a lot more encounters with the gods than we credit to for the Mm -hmm. same reason. You know, I think there's with the the fair folk, probably there's an attractiveness bias too. Like they've all got to be cutesy or beautiful or something. And you look at some of the old books and the old images, there is some scary shit in those books. There are. And even the ones that were described as beautiful, it was usually described as like an uncanny beauty. Right. And, you know, right. it wasn't uncanny the, valley sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. the pretty horse near the lake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Def- well, I mean, you can, but it'll be the last thing you do. Um, I mean, if that's how you want to go out, then you know, that's up to you. But yeah, don't do that. Um, yeah, no, we have a lot of these accounts where, you know, the Alpha or, or the Irish accounts as well, where they're described as beautiful, but it's not a, an earthly beauty. It's not a human beauty. There's something strange about it, um, you know, in a way that it's beautiful, but it's also maybe a little off-putting or a little scary, um, I actually love Pratchett in Lords and Ladies, where he said he said essentially that you know the fairies were attractive, but it's the way that a predator is attractive to the prey that it's sometimes a rabbit will freeze because something so you know the cat is so sleek and its movement so graceful that it kind of and that that's to me is always struck with me as something that is very applicable but isn't talked about a lot. Yeah, full disclosure, Lords and Ladies is one of my all-time favorite books. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I, I 100% think that his take on the good folk in that was really accurate to at least a segment of the good folk and to the folklore. You know, his, his whole life was more interesting when the elves were around. Um, it was more colorful if you like the color of your own blood. <laughs> like, you know, uh, life was interesting, but it was shorter. Sorry, I'm messing up the quote. I'm so excited to be talking Pratchett. I'm messing up <laughs> quoting him. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, that's an aspect a lot of people have kind of lost touch with. That idea that, yeah, they might be beautiful, um, but it's that dangerous beauty. Um, it's, Bears are cute to eat your goddamn feet. You know what? I used to use the bear analogy with the good folk a lot. But I've seen way too many videos now of tourists with bears and with the the bison, I think it is, out at Yellowstone. Yeah. So many good native memes, though. This is true. This is true. And and many of them are just absolute things of beauty. But I've kind of, like, I I realized that that comparison doesn't work now for a lot of people. People are fucking stupid. Yeah. um, But why why not friend friend shape? I mean, you know, live your life. It's going to be over in five seconds, but live your life. Yeah, particularly if it's it's a buffalo or, you know, a bison. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know what would possess people to go up to a cow and do that because any livestock that size, if you don't know the animal, can be a little dicey, especially if you're not used to being around animals. But you have a wild animal like a bison or a buffalo and that there's just no part of that that is any kind of good idea. And the same thing with bears. Like, 
you would think people know bears are predators, but they'll be feeding them like hamburgers out of the palm of their hand. I'm like, mm. no, no. This is why I cannot use this as an example of, you know, fairies are like apex predators. Because I think people are immediately picturing like, oh, like bears. They're so cute and fuzzy. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Maybe I should start comparing them to like apex predators that aren't cute and fuzzy. Like, I was gonna say mountain lions, but yeah, but like even mountain lions, like I, I've watched some of these these poor park ranger Twitter feeds. I'm like, oh honey, you have yeah. your work cut out for you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's people just make bad life choices, um, you know, and I, I, I get it. Like that's just human nature. Is sometimes we we have that risk reward thing that goes on in our brain. <laughs> And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes our brain is like, you know, I'm going to do the thing, even though the thing has a lot of sharp teeth and claws, I think it'll be okay. And then it's not okay. Uh, it looks like people who jump into like tiger enclosures at the zoo, like, right? you know, that, and that's, that, that's, that, yeah. that is certainly a choice. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and I, I just, I'm using these examples just to say that, like, it's, it's hard to get people to understand when, first of all, they're picturing fairies as little, you know, winged Tinkerbell things. But secondly, they're also not really believing that they're dangerous. I think, I think to that, that example of Tinkerbell, I think a lot of people miss that Tinkerbell was a vengeful bitch who worked to get Wendy killed. Yeah, <laughs> like, she, she tried. She tried really hard. <laughs> yeah, shoot down the Wendy bird. <laughs> you know, Tinkerbell has got some great PR. Um, I was recently <laughs> at a I was recently at a conference. I, I super offended someone, not on purpose, but oh no, someone else had asked a question about Tinkerbell, and I was honest. And I said, you know, I really think that she, she they they did her dirty. Disney did because they took all of her power away. Really, um, mm -hmm. I mean, they on multiple levels, but even the original movie, at least, she was you know actively trying to get Wendy unalive as the children say um but the newer tinkerbell is very different you know she's she's very just kind of sweet and kind and wants everyone to be friends and and all of this um which i didn't realize one of the people in the audience was a huge tinkerbell fan and she got all offended by that but i i do i stand by it i think the modern disney the way they've made Tinkerbell into truly a children's thing um, reflects the way that a lot of modern people understand fairies. Right. That Utterly defanged. Yes. Yeah. They're cute and they're tiny and they need What's human that? help sometimes. And I, I, I will jump to Tinkerbell's defense. <laughs> this <fair>. is the <laughs> one time one of the other folk have entered a contract with humans and the humans have come out on top because you don't fuck with the mouse. Yeah. It doesn't, mm -hmm. when it comes to contracts, you don't fuck with the mouse. That's, that's true. <laughs> Just imagining like the, how she's sitting down. <laughs> like, all right, look, I agree. We had this original arrangement with Disney. You better fix this shit. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. If anyone could like out contract the fair folk, it probably... It probably would be that corporation. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> or at least at least equal ground at least equal. right i mean it's that's yeah. a fair fight if ever there was one right yeah. yeah there's there's actually a whole conversation that goes on among certain people who are, who are very into the good folk about whether the infantilizing of fairies and the defanging and all of that is a, a negative thing that humans are doing to them or whether it's some very complex machiavellian public relations scheme on the part of the good folk to sort of get humans to believe that they're harmless and to willingly, you know, put fairy doors in their children's bedrooms and put up the little plaque that says, you know, put your hand here and the fairies will take all your worries away, which is such a Pratchett thing because you, you don't have to worry about anything. If you're no longer among the living humans, all your problems are solved. Um, but it is an interesting point to contemplate. Like, is it, is it that we're reshaping them in this way because we feel safer? Or, you know, cue the, that guy from Ancient Aliens. Or is it that, you know, they're doing it in order to make us easier to convince we shouldn't have any iron around and, you know... No Rowan and Red Thread over the door, none of that anymore. I, I think it's kind of a mix of both, to be honest, because we saw a similar phenomenon with like Loki in the Marvel movies. Yep. And I, I, I excellent I, PR. Excellent PR. And I, I I gotta hand it to him, like that entire group of guys got some excellent PR out of it. I'm still running into people who will insist at the top of their voice that Loki is Thor's brother. Mm-hmm. and i said okay what saga did you read this in well it's in the book okay marvel don't count yeah <laughs> i too enjoy the, the you know the adventures of thor in marvel comics yet yeah, even they differentiated between their comics and multiverse uh stories and the sagas so what book are you talking about my guy yeah um excellent pr though yeah uh, and nothing inherently wrong with it but I think that I'm hoping that people realize that there's so much more to it than the, 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 the glossy images they've been fed because, uh, you know, if, if you're going by the Disneyfication of, of fairies and the other folk, you know, that water horse, it, it, you know, that's, that's, uh, it'll take you on an interesting ride. You know, like the, the frozen horse from frozen two, it'll be okay. Yes. Just grab yes. the reins and ride, you know, ignoring the fact that you don't have those magic ice powers so you can breathe. Yes. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to contemplate. Um, and I certainly do see, I think I should preface this by saying, I think it's a bit of a catch-22. On the one hand, I do think there's advantages to it having attention drawn to it again, particularly things that have kind of started to be lost or to fade away on the other hand though it is this rewritten version which in a lot of cases the rewriting is being done outside of the source culture and there's like layers of problem going on with that we see that a lot with the seely and unseely court and urban fantasy um, because that's scottish folklore and that's a very clear sort of Mm -hmm. concept and belief and urban fantasy as, you know, plot points have kind of rewritten things very drastically. Looking um, at you, Dresden Files. 
Dresden Files, Mary Gentry, you know, those are the <laughs> oh, two main ones. Beta to be brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing is, I run into a lot of pagans and witches who that's their source. You know, much like the Marvel movies with the, the heathenry stuff, they'll, they'll come out with something and I'll already kind of know, but I ask anyway, I'm like, well, where, you know, where are you getting that? Like, what's, what's your source? Oh, you know, summer night. <laughs> for example, um, or Meredith Gentry or Holly Black or, you know, some of the, the big name uh, urban fantasy authors that write about fairies. Mm-hmm. And they, much like with the Marvel movies, they put aside all the plot point stuff that doesn't work, like that they're actually aliens. Um, I've never yet run into a heathen who's like, I am worshiping the Aesir who are actually aliens that live on a technologically advanced planet. But I'm I have. You they're out there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure there are, but I, I haven't run into them yet. Um, but I run into a lot of people who are like Thor and Loki are brothers. Yep. Or you know, Odin adopted Loki as his son from the giants, or you know, fill in any Marvel plot point here. Um, but they leave out the stuff that doesn't fit as well, like the alien part. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing with fairies. People, you know, will say like, oh no, the unsealy are actually the good guys. They're just, you know, they just need some love and, and they need people to understand them. Um, the sealy are really the bad guys. And that's straight urban fantasy. That's, that is 100% not what we find in the folklore. Um, mm. But th- these are pagans and witches who are, you know, practicing that spirituality and this is the way they're approaching it. Um, so... Hey, you're going to tell me the Twilight movies are not accurate too? Oh, I could go. I could go on about the Twilight movies. Yeah, Oof. yeah. I I actually don't mind so much that she made her vampires sparkly because that's just funny. But <laughs> you know, speaking of of people that got like done dirty, the the Quailute tribe. Yes. Um, oh my god. Oh, yeah. Like, why? Why would you take the name of an actual indigenous group that lives in that actual place? And then write this completely wacky, uh, yeah. yeah, sorry, I have opinions. Um, <laughs> yeah, if I'm going to rant about Twilight, that is where I would start. And then we can get to the vampires later. I think, too, like this kind of, of taking stuff out of context and rejiggering it to uh, make it more palatable, make it more saleable, is, is something that I'm happily seeing more pagans resist. In, in no small part, because when they start defanging the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits, they start defanging your own magic, too. Yeah. Because if your magic is on the same plane as them, and they're willing to take all the fucking teeth out of these spirits, your magic is next. Yeah. I, it, I, I do think, thankfully, we've moved past... The, the place you were in, particularly the 1990s, mm-hmm. where the god and the goddess were everyone's mommy and daddy, not in a kinky way. And, you know, it was, <laughs> it was all just about, like, this, this big loving sky parent, moon parent, or sun parent, as the case may be. And that was not a fun period to live through, I'll be honest. No, the, no offense to people who still, you know, embrace that, that particular ideology. But... I think we've moved past that and, you know, have opened up to, to more nuance and more um, layers and, and getting back into maybe some of the older views that come with the mythology. 
I hope. I, I am happy that gender essentialism, even in the circles that keep those, is something that we are seeing drop off dramatically. Yeah. Uh, the, a lot of the, the Wiccans that I know are, in, in not so subtle ways, reconstituting the baselines of their theology away from bioessentialism, which is very welcome. Yeah. And I think oh. that the more we can do that in our circles, the better off we'll be because not being shackled by biological essentialism is very nice. Uh, well, but also it's, it's theologically freeing because if not everything is pared down to, can it produce offspring? It opens up a world of possibility. Yep. Yep. That's what I was just going to say that, you know, again, it's that narrow view um, and particularly with the goddesses i mean also the gods get impacted negatively by it but particularly mm. with the goddesses the the bioessentialism and the maiden mother crone and this idea that you know really you know their their purpose is generative and um that's that is limiting incredibly I think. um and also you know the idea that 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 is how it always was binary. It's always been binary. No, no, we have plenty of examples of things that did not clearly fit into A or B. Um, you know, Loki comes immediately to mind. Scoppy. Yep. Um, you know, this idea that anytime we get into conversations where we're limiting gods or spirits, I tend to get uncomfortable. You know, I, I think that it's not for us as humans to say that, you know, a, a deity has to be definitively male or definitively female or a spirit, um, you know, can't cross an ocean if it decides it wants to or what have you. Um, you know, I just think that when we get to that point, if that's really what they are, then they're not spirits as I understand them. Right. You know, there, there's something too limited, hmm. and I wouldn't want to worship something that was that limited. So, with all of that in mind, how do you, if if for whatever reason you want to develop a good relationship with the other crowd, I know that I am opening a door here. Yes, I'm conscious of it. I knew this was a door that was opening anyway. Okay. How do you, as carefully as possible, begin a relationship with the other crowd in a way that is mutually beneficial and respectful? What I usually recommend to people, um, especially if you're just starting out, this is varies a little depending on where you're coming from, um, but always start with learning some of the folklore. Learn the folk beliefs. You will run across people who say that this is all like Christian propaganda, but it's not. This is basically a, the survival guide of our, you know, parents and grandparents and et cetera um, across all sorts of cultures. Like I tell people, if you're in Canada or if you're in the United States, like try to learn respectfully about the indigenous spirits around you. Um, not necessarily because you should be interacting with them, like that's going to depend on some other factors, but even just so you can be respectful that they're there. Mm -hmm. And also that can help you then differentiate between like, is this something that is native to this place that has been here for 10,000 years or whatever? Um, or is this something that followed, you know, 
uh, one of the, the colonizers that has come in the last 400 years, uh, at least where I am, um, you know, there's layers of stuff going on and you kind of have to know what that stuff is and what it looks like and what it feels like to know what's going on around you. Um, but if you're interested in a particular, whether it's the Alfar or the Ishi, um, Tirolithag in Wales, um, try to learn about them, you know, learn about how do they normally appear to people? How do they normally interact with people? What are their expectations? Because as I've established, like with the, the Irish ones, they tend to have very particular expectations from people um, and you don't want to cause offense and then you're going to have problems. And once you've sort of got that baseline for, okay, this is what's most likely to kind of be around me. And this is sort of what I'm most interested in interacting with. It's kind of like putting out a bit of an invitation. You just have to make it clear that you're open to interactions if anything is interested. Um, I usually encourage people to specify goodly inclined spirits um, because that's, again, very contractual minded are particularly the fair folk. So if you sort of put out, like, I'm, I'm welcoming any goodly inclined fair folk or what have you mm-hmm. that might be interested in getting to know me, um, that tends to put you in a better place to start. And then just sort of, like any relationship, see where it goes from there. Thank you. It's, at least in my, in my experience, at the very least, one of the things that's been nice about the other crowd is they've been incredibly respectful of the fact that I'm like, I appreciate that you have relationships with these people over here. I have this set of relationships over here. <laughs> and I think, um, and you can confirm or deny this, I think as long as you set really clear boundaries, you're in a much better place, if not pretty copacetic as far as that crowd is concerned. Um, cause I, I have not experienced intrusion into my life outside of situations where other people are already interacting with them. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because I've made it abundantly fucking clear that that's your relationship with those people, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, um, they, they are pretty good about boundaries where you have to be careful. And this is something I do warn people about is their concept of consent and the human concept of consent are not the same. So like with humans, if you invite someone over to your house and they come in and then you decide, you know, actually uh, I'm not feeling up to this, like you need to go, the human generally is going to respect that one, one hopes and leave. Um, the good folk, if you invite them in, that's not something you can just, you know, withdraw unless you specifically said at the time, I am inviting you in for the next hour. And then once that hour is up, you know, you can go and and do whatever. And I see a lot of people who kind of make that mistake of of blanket invitations or open-ended things. And with the assumption that, well, when I want them to go, I'll just, you know, tell them to go. And it doesn't work that way. With the good folk, they're very difficult to banish if they've been explicitly invited in, right? Um, which is a little different from some other kinds of spirits. So it just people need to just be kind of cautious mm-hmm. with that. And like once you have agreed to something, 
unless you specify very clearly it's a limited agreement or a limited time or what have you, it's open-ended as far as they're concerned. Like if, you know, that guy who had to flee across the ocean to try to get away from his fairy girlfriend, that was part of that problem is that you can't just decide, oh, I, I changed my mind. With a human, you could. And they're supposed to respect that. With the good folk, though, they just have a very different approach to things. Um, we have a whole bunch of folklore stories about um, someone who forgets to set a ward or um, you know, does something that sort of breaks protections. And so the, a bunch of the good folk will come into their house and then they cannot make them leave. They usually have to trick them by saying, oh, look, the local fairy hill is on fire. And then they'll all get upset and run out. And once they're out, you can keep them from coming back in. But, you know, people need to keep that in mind. Like once they're in, it is very difficult to get them out if they don't want to go. Yep. Sorry, that got a bit tangential. But No, no, it makes total sense to me, especially because, again, I, I know that sometimes having the conversation can potentially open the door, which is why I prefaced that whole thing. But... I think that having an outward invitation that is open-ended is, is part of the problem I've seen with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it with, with folks with Alfar and various Yotnar as well, mm-hmm. where uh, you look, you didn't say I had to leave at some point, asshole. You're breaking hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yes. This was not a limited invitation. So I live here now. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And, uh, Makes makes a good good deal of sense from where I'm coming from as well because of the the setups you can accidentally get yourself into by not being explicit with your boundaries. I mean, we we see this in contract language all the damn time. Like, I I didn't know that Facebook could suck up all my information and sell it to Cambridge Analytica, but uh, when I signed the TOS and I keep accessing the website and I skip that I accept button because I don't want to read the you know twenty thousand pages of documentation. Yep. You know, uh, I kind of get what I get, unfortunately. Yep. Now, I tell people all the time with the fair folk, always read the fine print. And if you are going to enter into an agreement, don't be afraid to negotiate for yourself. And if you're inviting them into an agreement, be very clear on exactly what you want and when and how and as much as you can lawyer up, basically. (laughs) Just just be as legalistic as possible because um, that's going to work out the best for you generally. Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to say when it comes to boundaries is usually, yes, boundaries work reasonably well. I have seen occasions, though, if they just like a person, it can be very difficult, <laughs> even if it's not a mutual feeling. Um, they're a little bit like cats that way. Like if, if a cat likes you, it doesn't matter if you're allergic it doesn't matter if you hate cats. In fact, I think that makes them just want to be in your face even more. Yeah, they like it more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. I often actually will compare the good folk to cats, not in the, the fuzzy, friendly, fluffy way, but in the like very firm boundaries. They will enforce their opinions of things very clearly. They don't like being ignored. And once you start in a habit with them, they expect you to do that until you die. Or, you know, they do, but in the case of fairies, it'd be you. So, <laughs> well, I, 
really uh, appreciate all the all the information that you've been willing to share and and your perspectives on things because I I think that where the metal meets the meat with a lot of these practices is so needed. And that's, that's why we do this podcast. That's why I appreciate your podcast and the books you've written is because even in the introduction books, like for instance, the one you wrote about Odin and the Norse path, what I appreciated was that you're, you're giving concrete examples of how to interact with these beings without like giving step-by-step instructions, but still giving people, it, more than enough lead into where it's like, okay, past the certain point, it's entirely up to you and your relationship, but here you go. Here's the basics of what you need to know. And I, I just appreciate you being willing to be so open and so willing to share, because I think this is where a lot of the conversations I see that are being needed now, because we've gotten through the, the 80s, the 90s, and the early aughts, and all the publishing that came out of that era of, okay, let's get the basics down. And one of the things that I'm really appreciating about both your work with Kat's work with a lot of folks that are coming out now is integrating the folklore, integrating the Gnosis experiences and the reconstructionist knowledge and bringing these together as a, a I'm using the example from, from Jim's uh, spiritual accounting PDF, having a chair with three legs as opposed to one you're supposed to wobble on is exceptionally nice because I see so many more people adopting this and it's much more stable than what came before. Yeah. So I really appreciate the breadth, the breadth and depth of your work. Thank you. Thank you. I'm definitely trying to, to help people find that integration point. You know, how do you go from just the, the, the lore, the sagas, the, you know, the mythology, the folklore into the actual practice in the, the least bumpy way. Well, I really appreciate all the time that you've, you've been able to share with us on that. And uh, for folks that want to find more of your work, where can they find you? Sadly, everywhere on social media. <laughs> <laughs> we have an abundance of links for the show notes. So. Yeah, it's, it is unfortunate. But um, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, X. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I can't resist. I mean, I'm I'm clinging right now onto Twitter because I have a lot of um connections through academia that are, are Twitter specific. Right, um, right. So unfortunately I have been forced to kind of try to stay on that sinking ship for as long as possible. But <laughs> I, I get it. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Just pardon the pun, but I'm also on Mastodon, so yeah, that's been a kind of a nice co-life raft as soon as this yep. ship sinks. Yeah, I am on Mastodon as well, but I, I haven't quite figured out all of the logistics to make it social. <laughs> I feel I, like I'm I mostly yeah. talking to myself. So, uh, Same uh, way with threads, honestly. I like threads in yeah. theory so far, even though it's a meta product, but it's kind of echo chambery because it doesn't, the algorithm doesn't help you figure out how to meet people yet. So, or to yeah. see things that, other than people you're pretty much already friended with. So gotcha. Yeah. Unfortunately, all social media, I think at this point is, is getting pretty echo chambery one way or another. It's true mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, um, you can, you can find me on, on all of that. So another question I had was, I know that you teach at irishpaganschool.com. What's in your current rotation? On the Irish Pagan School? Mm-hmm. 
um, for recordings. Let me see. I did a four-week class on the fairy faith. I have a class on the banshee. Um, I have a class on uh, sea folk, uh, folklore related to the sea and sea beings, um, changelings, because that is another subject that I can rant extensively about. So I just decided to teach a whole class on it. Um, and I do have one with Laura O'Brien where I talk about St. Patrick and sort of the, the Thank myth. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, the myth and the man and the nonsense <laughs> that we see with him. Um, and I do have one on the, the Pleiades as well. Um, so that was something that I, speaking of gnosis had kind of stumbled into with cat heath when i was in iceland um and has sort of grown into its own thing looking at cycles of holidays based on the pleiades and different folklore connected to them particularly them with fairies and that yeah that's a whole like rabbit hole if you would like to come back i would love to pick your brain on that because i know a lot of folks that i talk with are exceptionally interested in that oh sure awesome yeah it's a fun topic yeah so I really appreciate all the time that yeah, you shared with us tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm also on Academia Edu. If you ever want to oh, yeah. read the more <laughs> the more <laughs> academic side of things, um, I try to to share papers and conference stuff on there. So a little bit of everything. Excellent. So we'll have all of those links and more available in the show notes. And uh, if yeah. folks want to get a hold of you, those those social medias are. Like you said, all over the place. I, I apologize right. now for how much social media. Otto's got to eat. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know what it is, honestly, is I started mm. out on just the one, as most people do. Um, although the one would be MySpace, for the record. Nice. And, yep, and then that went defunct, and everyone went to Facebook. And then the first time Facebook got a little twitchy, then Twitter, and then it's like every time something gets twitchy, there's a new one, but then the old one also stays there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like the Hydra at this point. Like I was a lot like that with Tumblr. <laughs> I kept finding my stuff being mirrored, uh, reblogged to it, and I had no account on it. So I was like, well, I may as well make an account, and then I got sucked into Tumblr. Yeah, that's how I ended up on TikTok, because <laughs> I was like, you know... I, I keep getting told to go check things out on TikTok that are folklore related. And no, I was finally like, you know what? Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Yeah. Well, that was what inspired me. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. And we'll try to get some more grounded info out there. So, but yeah, it's like every time a new social media thing comes around, I join that. But then I have all the old ones. So now it's just ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah, that is the age we live in, that's for sure. It is. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, as always, to all of our listeners. We appreciate your support so much. And uh, everything that you do for us, our wonderful Discord community, and and all our friends out there in the various electronic spheres. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time around the fire.